Hello, it's good to be here with you again today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me uh, or recognize me, my name is Mark Anderson. I'm one of the pastors at Royal City Mission. Uh, it's good to be back with you again this week and just to have the opportunity to share with you. I really love um, how you guys have decided just to have a multitude of voices at this time and that you've embraced uh, just hearing from different people and um, and I'm honored just to be a part of that. Throughout the, uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we hear Jesus again and again referring to uh, this kingdom of heaven. And uh, this is, it's kind of a daunting term, the kingdom of heaven. It's not language we would really use today. It kind of sounds like this far out there uh, idea. It's, and it kind of is a, far out there idea, but it's a lot closer than we might think sometimes. Um, And when Jesus taught his first disciples to pray, he taught them the Lord's Prayer. And there's this line in there that says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think this is kind of like the simplest way to understand what the kingdom of heaven is. It's any time, any place where the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. As it, sometimes we think about the kingdom of heaven being kind of out there and this, this place will reach. And there's an element of that, but there's also heaven here and now as we do the things that God has called us to. But even though you can kind of define this. You could take the kingdom of heaven and it's saying where the will of God happens on earth as it is in heaven. It can still be tricky to recognize, hard to recognize. And you know, we have our own, at least I do, I have my own baggage, my own misconceptions, all my biases that I I bring to to my life. And so often I find myself misinterpreting my will be done as God's will be done. I think when my will happens, that must be the kingdom of heaven. We kind of, we miss what what God has offered us and we substitute our own kingdom in instead because defining something and understand how it's defined doesn't always help us to recognize it. But thankfully, Jesus didn't just leave us in in this world with nothing else to stand on. He didn't make us flounder around not really knowing. He gave us some helpful tools to help us recognize what the kingdom of heaven really is. Of course, Jesus offered his life as an example to kind of show us the path that we're to to follow. But also on top of that, he gave us a bunch of parables and short stories and teachings. And The parables, as I said last time, are something I really enjoy because I think they they allow us to have some fun, to think creatively, and to do some interpretation. And today I want to look at five parables, actually. And they're all found in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 13, and they all specifically start with, the kingdom of heaven is like. So if you want to join with me, I'll be reading from... Matthew chapter 13 in the NIV, 
And I'll be starting at verse 31, and we're going to read a section. We skip a bit because there's some interaction that Jesus has that isn't a parable. But, and then we'll j- come back in. So it's 31 to 33 and 44 to 50 of Matthew 13. So he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of the seeds, yet it grows. It is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. And then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A bit of a heavy ending there, but we'll come back to it. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that's been sown into a field. This is, this is one of those instances, usually I, I like the NIV, but this is one of those instances where it falls a little short. See, a lot of the other English translations, instead of saying the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds, it says it's the least of all the seeds. And I think this is a bit more accurate because simply put, the mustard seed is not the smallest of all the seeds. Uh, there are many types of seeds out there that are smaller. But when Jesus says this word that really can be traded the least, the less desirable, um, or the smallest, it kind of has a multitude of meanings. He's, re- he's referring more to its, its desirability or lack thereof. See, mustard is prolific and abundant to the point where it's often considered a weed in its, in its natural place. Right? And so another way of understanding this would be the mustard seed is the least desirable of all the seeds. But it will become something. But in reality, if you plant a mustard seed, you are not going to get a tree. Other fun fact. Now, I know if you Google mustard tree, um, thanks to... Uh, some wonderful uh, artists and photographers out there, they have many beautiful shots of stunning trees. Unfortunately, I don't think any of them are actually mustard trees because mustard trees aren't really a thing. 
it's more like a mustard shrub or a mustard bush, all right? Like they, they grow between six, maybe 12 feet if they're healthy. There's been like the odd case where they hit 20. Nothing so significant that you would consider it a great tree. And we know Jesus knew this because mustard grows in Israel. There's a good chance, like for me, when I picture this, Jesus is actually walking down the road with his disciples and he sees like some shrubbery on the side, a mustard tree, and he's just like grabs a handful as he walks by and pulls out some of the seeds. And he says, you see this seed? You, you think it's an undesirable weed, but this is actually what the kingdom of heaven is like. It, and someday, this will become a great tree, so great that birds will actually make their home there. He, for him, he was speaking to the, the, the Israelite people who would have been familiar with Ezekiel's teaching. He talked about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, being like the cedars of Lebanon, which would compare mostly to our, our redwoods on, on the west coast. Massive, beautiful trees. And Ezekiel points to a time that we'll get there, and Jesus affirms that we'll get there, that we'll be, uh, the kingdom of heaven will be like these massive, beautiful trees where birds will make their nests, but it starts with an undesirable, unwanted mustard seed. Jesus offers a picture of the kingdom of heaven. One, of course, it ends in a great tree, but starts with an undesirable bush. The kingdom of heaven starts small and even with the undesirable but becomes a great and unexpected home. The next parable, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman mixes among 60 pounds of flour. And this, whenever I, I read this, this parable, I'm reminded of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Like yeast mixed through the whole dough, the presence of God, the will of God fulfilled, it's mixed throughout all of creation. And often as Christians, we talk about bringing Jesus where we go. And there's an element of this because we try to be as Christ-like as we can when we go places. But there's also a disturbing amount of arrogance if we think that Christ is only where we are. And it's that kind of arrogance that led to like, disturbing things like the doctrine of discovery and different colonial practices that the church has been involved in. We forget or have forgotten, or some, I think sometimes we continue to forget that the God's presence, the kingdom of heaven, is actually present in creation before we get there. It's mixed throughout. There's nowhere we can go to flee from it. Jesus offers this picture of a kingdom of heaven that is mixed throughout all of creation for us to find and participate in. The kingdom of heaven is hidden 
throughout the whole of creation. And we have the, the parable of the treasure in the field. And like bef- the parable before this one, the, the kingdom of heaven is hidden, not throughout the whole dough this time, but instead in a field. And we don't know anything about this field, right? We don't know much about the man who's trying to find it, but it appears that he happens upon it. He wasn't out looking for something. He wasn't thinking, I'm going to find this buried treasure. He was out one day, and I don't know if he decided to dig or came across a a cave, but when he finds it, nothing else matters. Maybe you've heard the term, he bought the farm, when referring to someone who died. Well, this man bought the farm, right? He died to himself in order to own that field. He went home and with joy gave up everything he had just so he could have peace, a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus paints a picture of a treasure, a hidden treasure that is so worth having, so worth possessing, that there's joy in giving up everything we had before. The kingdom of heaven is worth so much more than anything else we could ever have. And we have the parable of the fine pearl, which shows us a merchant in search of fine pearls, right? And he, unlike the man who found the treasure, who kind of seems to find it by accident, this merchant is on a purposeful hunt, right? He probably already has a collection of pearls, right? And so he's out there hunting for it, And he comes across the most perfect of them, perfect of pearls. And upon finding this, he abandons the the collection that he had been building, selling them in order to buy the most perfect. And the presence of God, the will of God, moves from kind of this ambiguous treasure that we happen upon to a sought-after and hunted-for treasure. And at the time that Jesus was teaching, pearls were of considerable value, like much, much, much more than we would consider them today. And this, this is not a light thing that Jesus is saying. It's not like he happens upon a pretty stone. It's something of immense value. Everything else had to go because in light of this most perfect pearl, the merchant didn't have any need for his collection anymore, didn't have any need for the things that had held so much value to him before him for this. Jesus paints a picture where the kingdom of heaven is a treasure among treasures. It's a value so great it supplants 
the value of all others. And in this, the kingdom of heaven is worth seeking and worth giving up everything else just to be a part of it. Then finally, Jesus turns from farming and trading to fishing. And he offers us the parable of the net. And specifically here, Jesus is actually talking about what's called a drag net. And a drag net is a net that is just drawn through the water, usually by two boats, and it just catches fish. It doesn't care what kind. It's indiscriminatory towards what type of fish. The kingdom of heaven, too, picks up people without discrimination. I think sometimes we probably wish that God would be more selective, (laughs) right? Why do they have to be here, too? But this is the reality. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet pulled through the water. It doesn't... it, and it isn't for some people, it's not just for the selected, instead it's for all people. And it, it's worth noting here that uh, the sorting of the fish, because they are sorted, right? But it doesn't come until they reach shore. But even when it comes at, sh- at shore, it isn't the fish that do the sorting. Can you imagine a group of fish caught up in a net and as they're being dragged to shore, they're telling other fish that they don't belong, that they shouldn't be here, that they don't belong to this net? Can you imagine Christ followers doing the same thing to other human beings who are caught along in the net that is the kingdom of heaven? I think we all do that a bit. And I think it's worth checking ourselves on that. I'm always grateful that in this story that the judgment doesn't come to the end, till the end. And I am even more grateful that I am not the one who has to do the judging. How terrible a job that would be. Jesus paints a picture of the kingdom of heaven being like a dragnet, a net dragged through the water, picking up all sorts of fish. And so the kingdom of heaven picks up people without discrimination. And the sorting of the wicked and the righteous is left to God in the end. These five pictures of what the kingdom of heaven looks like what the will and rule of God look like. And these five pictures can help us seek out and recognize the kingdom of heaven in our everyday life. This isn't something we have to wait for. It's actually in the here and now. A mustard seed shows us the kingdom of heaven starts with the small and the undesirable and becomes a great and unexpected home. The yeast throughout the dough shows us the kingdom of heaven is hidden throughout the whole of creation. A treasure in a field 
shows us that the kingdom of heaven is worth so much more than anything else we could ever have in our lives. And a pearl of immense value shows us that the kingdom of heaven is worth seeking, it's worth looking for, and it's worth giving up everything else we've collected along the way just to have. And a net dragged through our lake shows us that the kingdom of heaven picks up people without discrimination. And that the sorting of the wicked and the righteous is left to God in the end. And I know that as we read these, we've barely scratched the surface on any of these. The reality is, is we could... God save us from anybody ever doing this to us, but we could probably spend a year in each one. They have a lot more to show us and to teach us. And my hope is that maybe throughout this coming week or coming month, you'll dig into these parables a bit more to find the treasures that are in them, to find out how they reveal to you where the kingdom of heaven can be found in our everyday life. For now, I'd just like to leave you with a blessing. And this is one that we, we use at Royal City Mission sometimes, and it's one that we borrowed from the Franciscans. But I find after wrestling and leaving and not tying everything up neat, it helps me. So may God bless you with restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, superficial relationships, so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with holy anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all they cherish, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can really make a difference in this world so that you are able with God's grace to do what others claim cannot be done. Go in the peace and grace of God. Amen.